Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Alberto Cairo will join us to discuss how charts lie. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, in this information age, making sense of information is increasingly difficult, but graphics can help. Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Professor Alberto Cairo. Dr. Cairo is the Knight Chair in Visual Journalism at the School of Communication of the University of Miami. He's the author of several works on the subject and consults with companies and institutions like Google and the Congressional Budget Office on visualizations. He's the author of the new book, How Charts Lie getting smarter about visual information, and he joins us today to discuss this issue for uh, general audience. And Dr. Cairo, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, well, it, fascinating book uh, you've written, How Charts Lie, which I think is very timely uh, given how much information we're inundated with. Well, I, I've been a, a chart designer, data visualization and information graphics designer for many, many years, and I still work as a designer, and I am a professor now teaching people how to design charts. And so the years, I, I realized that I could shift my classes a little bit towards more how to read those visual products, how to read them correctly, just because I started observing how, how people systematically misinterpreted even very simple charts, such as bar graphs or scatter plots or data maps and so on and so forth. So I decided to write a book, a manual, on how to become a better chart reader. Actually, that could be a good alternative title, how to become a better chart reader. That's what the book is about. The title of the book is a provocation, obviously, because I would say that only 20% of the examples that appear in the book are, are actually charts that I think that were designed to, on purpose to mislead people. The other 80% are charts that are, are otherwise perfectly well-designed, but we lie to ourselves with them, or we misinterpret them, or we project onto them what we want to believe. I want to warn people against all that. Charts, the figures, graphics, they've come to dominate much of how we consume our information. Is it just that we haven't been trained well in terms of how to interpret the various types of charts that are out there? Nice. Well, the confusion lies in the fact that charts are not really well in educational systems. They are sometimes approached as um, aids for thinking, and that is the right approach to them, but they are not explained in depth. They are explained in the sense of learning their, their symbols and their grammar, how, how they are built. Right? Or horizontal axis means something, vertical axis means something, you know, variation of color on a map means something. That's the grammatical level which I also explain in the book, the grammatical level charts, how to read them as if they were text, right? But at the same time, charts, like, like written language, they also have a semantics layer. So we need to really pay attention to them and read them closely to extract the right meaning from them. And it is this semantic layer that is not well explained in educational systems. And I really want to, I really want it to address that in the book. I would say that 75% of the book is devoted to that, to how to pay attention to charts. Because another thing that I have observed among people is that 
many people out there tend to tend to approach charts as if they were illustrations or visuals or images. And uh, the case that I'm making in the book is that charts should not be approached as if they were illustrations, because otherwise you would just look at them, right? Charts are visual arguments, and in order to understand them correctly, to call them correctly, extract the right meaning from them. The lack of knowledge of in, in approaching these semantic layers of charts sometimes impedes you know, a person from, from getting the right, the right message from the chart. And, and the, the book is actually a manual on how to do that. How not to, for example, read too much uh, in a chart, which is something that really happens, happens very, very often. And there are several examples in, in, the, in the book of charts that were, for, for example, or that are, for example, showing coincidences in time of two different events, such as, for example, a, a specific example in the book is a chart uh, of the unemployment rate in the United States, as you know, went up during the economic crisis, and then it, it, it went down starting in, back in 2009, and it continues going down right now. And if people overlay time of the passing of the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, some people tend to infer that there is a causal connection to the passing of Obamacare and the change of direction of the curve of the unemployment rate in the United States. That's an example of reading too much into a chart. The, all that the chart is showing, one of the mantras, by the way, that I mentioned in the book is a chart shows only what it shows and nothing else. Everything else that you're reading in the chart is something that happens in your brain. It's an inference. You're projecting onto the chart you know, some prior knowledge that you have about something, you're projecting it onto the chart. Sometimes that is right, sometimes it's not right. All that the chart is showing is that there is a coincidence in time between the passing of, of Obamacare and the change of direction of the unemployment curve. But that doesn't mean that they are causally connected. It's just a coincidence in time. They may be connected, but the chart doesn't really prove that connection at all. Correlation is not causation. It's a very useful mantra to remember. But at the same time, I point out that correlation sometimes is the first clue that you have to find in causation. So correlation can be super, super useful. It's only that you need to handle it with care. And again, not reading too much into charts showing, you know, association between different two, uh, two different variables. And we can also go beyond it. Beyond correlation is not causation by looking into other paradoxes and other fallacies that also ails us, ail us um, uh, quite often, right? For example, in the book, I describe the ecological fallacy, you know, and an amalgamation paradoxes and things like that, you know, that sound a little bit technical when, 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 I, when, I, when, I, when I mentioned them. But I try to explain them in a language that, you know, someone like myself, I'm not a, I'm not a statistician or a data scientist, someone like myself can understand. Oftentimes the problem with how people use these charts to say what they want them to say, and the recipient is not savvy enough to pack what's actually in the chart. That's truly a problem. One, another problem with the way that we use charts in public discussions, and I mentioned this explicitly in the book, I say charts should never be, or, or at least you know, they should not be very often, conversation stoppers. They are conversation enablers. They can begin a conversation and they can inform a conversation. But very rarely, a chart will be the last point in a conversation. Just because a chart, in order to be read correctly and in order to be used correctly, it needs to be interpreted. Sometimes you need to see beyond the chart what lies behind that chart, where the data comes from, how the data should be interpreted, how the data represented in that chart connects to the conversation that, you, that we are having. So I am a great believer in the power of charts to form conversations, but never to stop those conversations, but to push them forward and to make them better. 
But are there cases in which charts are designed misleadingly? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. And I have I have examples of that in the book, right? So for example, it's very easy to distort the appearance of, of several data points. If you, for instance, mess around with the um, uh, horizontal axis bar graph, you may you know may, you are able to distort the proportions between the numbers that they are that those bars are representing. Or if you crop the horizontal axis, let's say for instance, going back to the example of uh, the unemployment rate, right? If I show you the unemployment rate in the past 10 years or so, it is clear that the unemployment is going down. But what about if I crop the horizontal axis, the time axis of that time series line chart, right? And if I, I only show you, let's say, two or three months in the line chart that I choose very carefully, and I choose specifically the months in, in the past 10 years in, in which unemployment went up, right? That's very easy. That kind of that, that, that type of cherry picking is very common when people want to mislead with, with charts. Or, you know, the way that we select the colors used in maps representing geographic patterns of data, if they are chosen carefully, you can greatly bias the perception that people may get from the data. So I try to explain, you know, many different tricks that I have I have seen, I would say, propagandists and, and bad actors use more often. What do you think characterizes the design then of a good chart? Well, when we design a chart, the, the things that we need to pay attention to are actually quite similar to what we need to pay attention to if we are readers of charts. So the first thing that we need to pay attention to is even not the chart itself, but what the source of the data that is represented in the chart is, right? Where the data comes from. That's the first thing. And, 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 and we need to pay attention to what is being measured and how. So you are taking a look at, there's an example, for instance, in the book about homelessness in Florida, right? And, and it displays very high numbers of, of homelessness in Florida, uh, striking numbers. Um, however, you need to read what the state of Florida it calls a homeless person. How they define a homeless person? And a homeless person is not someone who lives on the streets. A homeless person is basically someone who doesn't have a permanent home. That that's considered a homeless person, right? So the numbers look very high, but that's just because they are using a particular definition of the word or the of the term homeless. Then to design the chart correctly, we need to pay attention also to how the data is displayed. So we need to be very careful in the way we set up axes, in the way that we choose colors, in the way that we add annotations and explanations to the chart to put the data in context. And then, and, and, and I also describe this, this element in quite a lot of detail in the book. I'm a great believer not in presenting charts alone, but in presenter, presenting charts paired with text or with words. So, you know, presenting the chart, what, what the chart is showing, explaining it. We call that the annotation layer in the world of a visualization. So writing a good title, for example, for your chart, rather than writing a good introduction, a textual introduction to your chart, can really enhance, can really improve understanding in the part of, in part of the reader. Shouldn't we be now trying to push this ability much earlier? Yes, yes. The answer is yes. This should have happened much earlier. Although I would say that the literature of visualization is quite extensive. There, there, you know, there are wonderful books written um, decades ago. There is, for example, Edward Tafti's The Visual Display of Quantitative Information. More recently, there is a called Newsbombers 
storytelling with data, or Stephen Fuse show me the numbers, uh, or even my own, my previous books, The Truthful Art and The Functional Art, they are all books that explain how to design charts, and, and as an extension of that, they also teach how to read charts. The problem is that all these books were written for, let's say, specialized audiences, right? Graphic designers, journalists, statisticians, scientists, data scientists, and so on and so forth, and not for the general public. And that's another reason why I wrote How Chats Lie. I wanted to basically sort of translate what I wrote before into a language that could be understood by anyone, regardless of what your professional or educational background is. It comes too late. I don't know. I, I, I think that there is always time to learn, and there are, there are always time to educate, time, time to educate yourself in becoming a better reader of the information that we find in print or online. What do you think are some of the best tips then you can offer for people to become better readers of charts? Well, and the book spells out those tips, right? So I'm going to basically summarize them very quickly and circling back to several things that I have already mentioned. So the first thing is that to basically embrace the idea that a chart, meaning graphs, maps, infographics, diagrams, visual displays of information, they are not illustrations. They are not things that you just need to look at, right? Just glancing at them, uh, them would not be enough to understand them. You need to stop and try to decode them, try to read them. So you need to pay attention to them. That's the prerequisite to everything else that comes after. And the second thing is to read the source. So what, are the source, what is the source of the data? If a chart that you see on Twitter or on Facebook or a newspaper or whatever doesn't mention where the data comes from, where the information that is being displayed it comes from, distrust that chart, right? That period. There's no doubt about that. So any creator of charts, any designer of charts should try to disclose the sources of the data so readers can consult what those sources are um, and, and whether they are reliable and trustworthy. And I would say that, you know, an attentive reader, if you have time, no, spend 30 seconds taking a look at the source and basically assessing, making sure that whatever the chart claims that is being measured is actually what is being measured, right? Remember the example that I explained before about homelessness in Florida. What do you mean by homelessness, right? You need to read the source of the data to understand them, understand that. Then the next thing is to see whether the display of the data, the way that the data is encoded, right? Uh, represented by objects in the graphic itself, whether there are some distortions, right? Distortions sometimes happen, you know, because the designer is trying to lie to you, but sometimes they also happen because, you know, designers and journalists and scientists, sometimes they are rushed and, you know, they are a little bit careless perhaps, and they design a graphic that, with the best of intentions, but a graphic that ends up misleading you just because the data is not well represented. And I, I go into a lot of that in all of that in the, in the book about how to identify distortions in data. And then the most important thing, so came back again to something that I mentioned before, uh, try not to project. Try not to read too much into the chart. It's very easy to do this, to jump to conclusions too quickly when you see a chart, for instance. So try to curb that impulse. A great part of the book is devoted to talking about, for instance, cognitive biases, right? And it's very important to become aware of our own biases. It's very easy when you read the literature about cognitive biases, and it's very extensive at the moment, it's very easy to learn how to identify biases in other people. 
but it is much harder to identify your own biases. And those are the ones that are most important to understand, the ones that come from your own brain. Fortunately, it is possible to do that, I believe, and I encourage readers to do that. We were just talking with Dr. Alberto Cairo, his new book, How Charts Lie, Getting Smarter About Visual Information. And Dr. Cairo, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks so much for having me again. It was a pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.